That's what I want to do. I want to preach the word. But I broke. I got, got something broke. Let's see if I can stick that in my... I wonder if this will work if I just put it in my pocket. We'll find out. Good morning. morning. About six months ago, maybe? No, it's longer than that. Close to a year ago, a young lady wrote us a letter from jail. And she said, would you guys, when I get out of jail, would she said, I've given my life to the Lord here in, in the jail. When I get out of jail, would you guys at Gateway be my church family? And we said yes. And a bunch of us wrote her letters. Some of us went to visit her. And she got out of jail. She came here. Shortly after that, she was baptized into Christ. And uh, she has been a part of our church family here. And you, most of you, those of you who go to Gateway, know her. Her name is Heather Norton. And I asked you guys that day, I, I told her, yes, we'll be your church family. And I asked you guys, I said, how many of you will be her church family? And, and a bunch of you raised your hand. You know, some of you may be like, uh, I don't know if I did because I don't know what you're about to say. So I'm not sure if I did or not. I might not have. But uh, I, w- I just want you to know that uh, she, she talked to me yesterday and let me know that she w- she's working today, so she's not able to be here this morning. But she wanted me to invite you guys to be here next Monday morning at 11.30. So that's not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. And here's the reason, because she's getting married on Labor Day, no, Memorial Day. She's getting married on Memorial Day at 11.30 in the morning. And I know a holiday is a little bit of an inconvenient time, but uh, Heather's family is not going to come. Her mom and dad are done with Heather, and they've had enough of her. And they're not going to be here. And so some of you are her moms and dads and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts in the Lord. And if you next Monday are going to be in town and you're going to make some barbecue, you know, and maybe hang out on the lawn and enjoy uh, being together as family, take a break right around 1130 and come down here to Gateway. Because she said, I love my church family and I want to invite every one of them to be there. So I hope a bunch of you can make it next Monday. And I'll be here. Uh, so I, I try not to invite you guys to do things that I'm not willing to do. Of course, I have to do the service, so that's different, all right? You guys don't have to actually marry them, but uh, anyways, I hope you can make it uh, next, next Monday on Memorial Day. We're in a series of lessons, Good and Beautiful, Good and Beautiful, and it's about the church. We talk, started talking about this last week, and I mentioned that the church, the church has blown it, through the centuries, I mean, you just have to look at history. You go back in history, and the church has blown it a bunch of times and messed up. But I want you to understand this. God didn't change his plan when we messed up. When we blew it, God didn't say, oh, well, let's forget about that. The church, she is still his bride. And she is still good and beautiful in many, many ways. Last week, we considered this, that she is peculiar. She's peculiar. And this week, we're going to be looking at the bride of Christ and the fact that she is full of hope. Full of hope. And that's a good thing, because there's a bunch of people who don't have hope. I, I heard the story about these guys in college, four guys in college, and they... They had, didn't study for their final. It's finals time, by the way, you teenagers and those of you getting ready to finish school. It's, 
It's finals week. You need to be studying. And they didn't study, and it was, the day came, and it was supposed, supposed to go to their class. And they said, hey, we're not ready for the test. Let's do this. They went out, and they got some grease off the car, and they got their clothes all greasy and dirty and stuff. And then they waited till later that afternoon, and they went by to see their professor, all of them together. And they said, hey, we left about three days ago. We went to a wedding. Our car broke down. We tried to get back in time. We just pulled in. And as you can see, I mean, we didn't make it. And, and it, could you give us, you know, could you help us out? Could you give us a little more time? He, he didn't seem upset a bit. He said, sure, no problem. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you three days. You were gone for three days. I'll give you three days. Come back on Friday, and all of you be here at this time, and we'll just, we'll just take care of it then. He said, that, that won't be any problem. And they, they left, and they're like, yes. They got three extra days. They went, and they studied. They got all ready for the test. And they came in that day, and he said, yes, here's your test. He said, I want all of you to go to four different rooms. He put them in four different rooms, and there was only two questions. And these were the two questions, even though they had studied for the whole semester. Two questions. Whose wedding was it, and what car broke down? And that was it. <laughs> Those four guys didn't have much hope, I'll tell you that, all right? And... Uh, and, and some of us find ourselves in some positions like that of not having a lot of hope. I read this recently that 10 years ago, we had Johnny Cash, we had Bob Hope, and we had Steve Jobs. Today, we got no cash, we got no hope, and we got no jobs. <laughs> and then the person added, please don't let Kev- Kevin Bacon die. <laughs> I love that. The other thing that cracks me up about this whole hopeless, kind of bad news type of thing, I don't really know, I'm not sure that I understand this about all of us, but people like to spread it around. Have you noticed that? And, and not everybody is this way, but some people in particular are just the kind of people, and you figure it out after a little while, and you think, I don't want to tell them anything bad in my life anymore, because... Maybe I've had this experience where I say, oh, man, you know, we've got, you know, two kids and they're little, you know, they're in diapers or whatever. They're young, you know, they're babies. And, man, we're having a hard time and this and that. And I have some people that I know who are like, oh, you think that's bad? Oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about it. In about five years, this is going to, oh, in ten years. And they always have a worse story about whatever it is that you're going through. Oh, you think you're hopeless? Oh, you're not hopeless yet. You just wait, and you're really going to be hopeless. And I see this sometimes with pregnant ladies. Have you guys noticed this when you see a a lady who's going to have a baby? And ladies seem to gravitate around a lady who's going to have a baby and tell horror stories about giving birth. You know? Oh, I was in there in labor for 17 days, you know? And it was the worst pain of my life. You know, good luck, honey. You know, it's like... It's like getting on an airplane or something, and you're going, you know, you're about to board, and you're like, well, I sure hope we don't crash, you know, I don't know, I guess we could get on, last one I was on crashed, I was the only survivor, you know, come on, let's go, come on, everybody in, you know, here we go, I mean, why, why is it, it's like misery loves company or something, it's like we, it's like this kind of hopeless, bad news out there deal, it's like we just almost can't get enough of that, and I think we can all relate with needing some hope, needing some hope. And thank God, the church, she is full of hope. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for our church family. We get to be family, that we're not just 
not just going through rituals or checking off a list of going through the things that we must do. Thank you that we, you've given us hearts and filled our hearts up with love for you and love for one another that we want to be together today. I just give you praise for that. And I ask you, God, to help us to be filled up with hope. Teach us now as we study your word and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be reading from several scriptures today, starting with Colossians, and you'll not be, not be on the screen if you'd like to grab a Bible and you can read along with me. The first one is going to be in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to see verses 3 through 7. Colossians 1, 3 through 7. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and the love that spring from hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Paul writes a letter to the church, to the bride in this town called Colossae. And he says, look, we thank God for you because you're good and beautiful. Your faith and your love are good and beautiful. And where do these things come from? They come from the hope. How much hope? A tiny bit of hope? No, enough hope that it's stored up. And it's a good thing because there are a lot of people who feel hopeless. And I'm joking around a few minutes ago about hopelessness, but... There really are people who feel hopeless, aren't there? There may be some of us today who feel a little bit hopeless. People who struggle with addictions and who feel like there's no hope left. People who struggle with failed relationships. Divorce. Friends who stabbed you in the back. Your family of origin who has decided they reject you. And we struggle with hopelessness because of loss. Loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, loss of financial security, loss of ourself perhaps even sometimes. And even maybe people who don't have any of those struggles I just mentioned, but they're very successful in life and they've reached some pinnacle and they're, wow, they got there and they're just empty, hopeless. We remind me of what Jesus said about the woman that that he met in in Mark chapter 5, or actually that they told Jesus about this woman. Mark chapter 5, verse 26. They told Jesus, she has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grows worse. And many people are like this woman that has spent, this woman who spent everything, but wasn't getting any better. Many people are tired and weary and frustrated of trying. And some people may not run out of money, but they've run out of ideas and they've run out of time and they've run out of hope. And here's the great news. The church, the bride, she offers hope to people who are hopeless. And she does that in at least three ways. We're just going to talk about three quickly today. Three ways that she offers hope. Hope. 
And here's the first one. She gives grace. The church gives grace. Most other places in our world don't give grace. Most other places in our world, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. But listen to Titus chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. In other words, Paul is saying to this man Titus in chapter 3, we used to be hopeless. We used to live lives that had no escape from the things we were stuck in. We used to live lives that had no peace anywhere in them. We used to live lives that made no sense at all. And then verse 4. Titus chapter 3 verse 4. A great word. But. Thank God for that word. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. But because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. And the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously. Through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. That's a pretty lengthy scripture, and I know some of you... We're thinking about the roast at home that you had, you know, while I was reading that. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, I know that because I do that sometimes. I check out whenever, you know, we're reading the scripture and I'm like, oh yeah, let's see, my tea time is at two. And let's see. So if I'm good by the third hole, I think I'm at third hole. I, you know, I, I'm just saying I do that sometimes. Uh, by the third hole, by the way, I'd be about seven or eight or nine over is what I would be and probably ready to go home. But let me just do this in case you did check out. Paul says it in one other place, and I encourage you to go back and read Titus chapter 3 on your own. Study that, think about it, meditate on it. But he says it in one other place, a little bit shorter, and maybe we can digest it a little bit better. All right? So here it is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17. If you've got your Bible, turn there to 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Listen to what Paul says to this church in Thessalonica. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, so he's petitioning Jesus and God, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. It's a little bit shorter, a little bit, able, a little bit more able to kind of digest that. How is it that God encourages you and I, who have no courage to take one more step. How does he do that? How is it that he fills us up with hope when all the hope has leaked out with yet another failed attempt of pulling ourselves up, another good try at good behavior? How is it that God heals our broken hearts and strengthens our weak willpower? How is it that he does it? In those verses right there, there's three words Three beautiful words, by his grace. That's where the courage and the strength come from to keep moving forward. 
Too many times, my belief is, that preachers and churches have offered something different than by His grace. Too many times, I believe preachers and churches have offered spiritual whippings. Let me make you feel horrible about what you did this last week. I was telling somebody this week that when I was younger, when I first started in ministry, man, I was the master of getting like peanut butter. Like if you got peanut butter and you just get it and you lavish it, you know, just like just put it on there thick on a big piece of bread. I could do that with guilt and shame. Man, I could, I mean, I could make you, if you felt, if you thought you felt bad when you came in here, by the time you left, you know, you were just like a puddle of water. Man, I just could lay it on you. Make you feel horrible. I was good at doing that. Too many times, preachers and churches have offered something else. They've offered self-help. We'll turn this into a self-help church. We'll be better people. I got three ways. Ready? A, B, and C. And you just go do those three things and you'll be fine. God will love you more if you go do those three things. Sometimes we've just been a place where we offer more and more and more rules. As if the ten that I've already broken aren't enough. I need to feel like I've missed some more. Thanks. Give me some more rules. But Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that we just read chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. This is what is needed. This is what makes the difference. By his grace. In 2002, at a small Christian college in Missouri, a class gathered right about this time a year for their final exam. And the guy that wrote this story talked about how he had studied so hard, and he came in in the you know before an hour before class, and he studied with some of his classmates. They went over their notes, and then the teacher came in at the appointed time, and he even told them he would help them further. And so he began to go through all of the things that were, they were going to be on their test. He was telling them these things are going to be on the test. And many of the things were things they had on their study guide and things in their notes. But they noticed there were several things they didn't even recognize. And some of them raised their hand and said, well, I don't remember hearing about that. And he said, well, it's in one of your three textbooks that we read this semester. And you're, you're responsible for all that information. Oh, I guess you're right. Everybody ready? It was finally time to take the test. He took them around. He laid them down on the desks. Put them down for everybody. On the desk. Upside down. He said, don't turn them over until I tell you to. All right, everybody's got one? Are you guys ready? You ready to take your test? Turn them over. They all picked them up and turned them over. And there on their test... Every question was there, and all the answers had been filled in by hand. At the end, on the last page, this is what was written on the test. The man saved it, and he quoted it. It said, this is the end of the final exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You'll receive an A on the final exam, and the reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A that you've just ex- that did not help you get the A that you've just re- received. You have just experienced grace. Mike, 
I need you to do something for me. I need you to go back there and bring me a tray of the bread and the juice, just whatever's left back, just one of each. Because this is what the professor did. He went around to each student and he asked them, what is your grade? Each person, he said, what is your grade? And they said, A. And he said, do you deserve that grade? And they said, no. Thank you. And he said, did all the work that you do make a difference in you getting that grade? And they said, no. And the man who wrote the story said, I'm not much of a crier, but as I had to answer those questions to my professor, he said, I had a hard time holding it together as I thought about my creator who took this test for me and who scored an A for me. The discussion after the class, it was a Christian college and it was a ministry class. And the discussion after the test was that he was saying to them, when you go out and you teach people at churches, you have to remember that you are a recipient of grace. And he said, I've tried to communicate that to you and to demonstrate that gift. That's why I did this with this test today. He said, they don't need to be hammered. They don't need to be guilted. They don't need to be shamed. They need you to share the grace you've experienced with them teacher said he probably would never do that again but this class he thought need to experience grace and indeed they did i got to tell you here at gateway there's no tests today no tests but we have a reminder every week of god's grace and this can become a ritual this can be something that you, again, check out. You think about the football game or you think about what you're going to do this week or you think about the laundry. It can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. This reminder of grace right here, as we take this bread, we break some of this off, and if we were to ask ourselves, what grade does God give me this week? Not based on my, not based on what I did, based on what Jesus did. What grade? A, as we pick up the cup and we ask ourselves, do I deserve this grade? No. As we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, how much did all of my work help to get me this grade? It didn't. This is supposed to remind us that it's about grace, that Jesus paid the price for us. God offers grace. And when his people come together as his bride, she represents him. She offers grace. It pours through us and out to others. And when we do that, we are good and beautiful. She offers grace. And the second thing is she offers true change. True change. Listen to 2 Thessalonians. If you've got your Bible there, turn over to 2 Thessalonians. Actually, this is the same scripture we were just in. I'm going to read it again. 2 Thessalonians 2. Listen close to this idea. Does the bride of Christ offer change? May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You see, the hope that we have is for the future. Obviously, it's for the future, but it's also for now. I mean, if I, if, if I just knew that I would be forgiven and someday I'd be done with all these struggles that I have and that I would be, 
I mean, I mean that, that would be enough. That would be good and meaningful and amazing. And it's why we, a lot of us love that song by Brad Paisley that he sings, don't, don't Cry For Me When I Get Where I'm Going. You guys know that song? You know, when I get where I'm going and I'm, I'm going to set aside all these struggles and, and, and I'm, and, and I'm going to hug my grandpa's neck and it's going to be a great day. And so when I get to that place and I see my Savior's face, don't cry for me down here when I get where I'm going. If that was all it was, if it was just that we're getting a ticket to heaven and we're going to be there with him, that would be amazing. That would be great. But how much greater if the hope were for later and it changed me today? If I wasn't left with all my struggles or in all my problems. Max Lucado is famous for saying a lot of things. One of my favorites that he said is this. God loves you just the way you are. That's grace. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. You see, it's not, it's not just that God gave us a list of rules and said, do A, B, and C so that you'll be like Jesus. God wants us to live hope-filled lives like Jesus did when he was on this earth. He wants us to be changed from the behaviors that have hurt us and hurt the other people around us. And as we do that, we offer the other people around us hope. When true change happens inside of our lives, when true change happens, and it can, true change can happen in our life. I love this story about two men who were going to a church. Their names were Paul and William is how the story goes. And they decided that they wanted to begin to meet together to encourage one another. They both wanted to become better godly men and so they would get together and they would read and pray and they would talk about things they struggled with. And Paul in this story said that one of his struggles was profanity and that he would like to stop cursing. And he struggled with that. And so he told William, I want you to hold me accountable and I want you to ask me on Sunday because I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if this will motivate me. I'm going to keep track of every curse word I say this week and I'm going to put $5 in the collection plate on Sunday for every curse word I say. I know some people who don't make enough money. <laughs> okay. He added up the first day. Multiplied times five. And it was well over a hundred dollars. That he had to put in the plate. And it hurt. It's tough. And they met the next week. And they prayed together. But the next week came. And he was a little better. It was only 75 or 80 bucks. But it just kind of lowered a little bit. It kind of hovered there. It was like he had enough money. He could handle it. It was okay. And then his friend, William, came along beside him one week when they met together and said, Paul, I want you to keep track this week, but I'm going to change the deal. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'll tell you this. It will cost you less, and it will cost you more. And so the next Sunday, they meet at the beginning of church, right in the back in the foyer, and William asked Paul, how did it go? And Paul said, man, not... Not great, I, you know. I had, he goes, no, stop. I don't want you to tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me how many times you cursed this week. Pulled out his checkbook. Signed his name. Wrote it to the church. And tore out a blank check and handed it to Paul. And he said, I told you it's going to cost you less. As a matter of fact, it's free. But it still has to be paid for. And so in a way, it's going to cost you more. And he gave him the check. And he said, next week? I got another check. 
And as the story goes, and I, I, I don't know whether it's a true story or not, it's a good story, but as the story goes, Paul was motivated from the inside because of his friend's sacrifice. He couldn't stand to think of his friend sacrificing and paying for his mistakes. And I got to tell you this, today, here at Gateway, no one's going to write a check for your sins. And nobody needs to. Because Jesus paid the amount in full. And every week when we eat this bread and we drink this cup right here, it's a reminder of what it cost him. And it is a motivation to change us from the inside. Not just moral rules on the outside, but to change us by a relationship, by a friendship, by one who would pay. God offers true change in our lives. And when people come to be among his bride, she represents him. And so we don't hide our imperfections. We don't pretend. We don't hide our scars. We don't hide our mistakes. Because we know that that will glorify him and offer hope to people who are desperate for change in their life, who are hopeless. Nothing's helping me to change. But all of a sudden, they're among her, his bride, and she has had true change. And that is good and beautiful. And here's the last thing as we finish today. She offers resurrection. See, death doesn't have the final word. God has the final word. I want you to hear some of these words that sound final. Are you ready? You're fired. Bankruptcy. Divorce. The court finds you guilty. Don't ever come back in this house again. You are not allowed to see the kids. I could go on and on. But those are words that sound like that's the end. That's the last word. But all these words, all these words are things that we have put our hope in at times in our life, in these places and relationships. But the resurrection proves these words do not have to be the last word. God has the last word. And there is life on the other side of these words. Just like God used Jesus' death to accomplish something good, I want you to know that God will use the difficult things in our life, the difficult words to accomplish good. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It's resurrection now from the things that seem like death. But thankfully, it's more than just resurrection now from the things that seem like death. Thankfully, it's ultimately resurrection on the other side. When we step across, we have faith that the story of Jesus is true. The gospel, that Jesus died for my sins. He paid, paid for my sins. And that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead. That that's factual. We believe it's factual and supported by hundreds of eyewitnesses. And the bride of Christ is a reminder of the hope of resurrection. Every time a person in Christ dies, we the bride, we do not mourn like people who have no hope. We don't do that because we believe death is not the final word. I love the story of the, the soldier in Civil War who had such a horrible wound. The surgeon said, I have to operate right away. He was still conscious. He said, I have to operate right away, but I want to tell you there's a one chance in a hundred that you're going to survive this. Is there anything you need to say before we put you under? And he said, no. Get on with the operation. All is well with my soul. Whichever side I come out on, 
I'm going to be welcomed. If I wake up here, my mom's going to welcome me. If I wake up on the other side, Jesus is going to welcome me. So get on with the operation. Get on with it. And there's no funeral here at Gateway today to remind us of that. But I want you to know this. When we eat this bread right here, and when we drink this cup, we should be reminded that all is well with my soul. So get on with it. Get on with it. God offers hope. The hope of resurrection. And when people come to be among his bride, she represents him. And she offers the hope of resurrection. And that is good and beautiful. For you. And if you're a person who doesn't know what this means and you've never accepted the sacrifice that Christ made, I invite you to come. Come to Jesus today. Let's stand and let's sing.